Mariah's a good sport. From Isaiah chapter 12. Um, it's, it's kind of vulnerable up here. You, you're at the mercy of what's on the screen behind you. But um, it's great to see all of you. I hope you all had a Merry Christmas. Um, I don't know about you, but for me, the songs of Christmas have hit especially close to home this year. Maybe it's because of all that we've experienced as a society, uh, both in our nation and our world, thinking about the long year that 2020 has been. Just some of the lyrics of the famous Christmas songs that we sing have sunk in a little bit deeper. Let me give you just a few. I won't sing them for you, but I'll I'll tell you them um, that have just meant a lot to me this year. Um, Here's one. It goes like this. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. A delightful promise at the end of 2020, is it not? Think about another one um, that says, uh, Let nothing you dismay remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. O oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. And I don't know about you, but, but for me, something about singing these songs this year have, have reminded me that I'm not the first person to follow Jesus, that we're not the first people to follow Jesus through difficult times, that we're actually, when we take these songs upon our lips and we take the words of Scripture upon our lips and say, yes, I believe that, I have trusted in this Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins, we are being invited into a, a stream, a river of praise that started long before we were born and we were alive and will continue long after we go to be with him in heaven. We are invited into this river of praise and joy in his presence that will continue forever and ever. And one of the joys for me has been teaching these songs to my boys. This year in particular, now our four-year-old Case and our two-year-old Declan, they can sing these songs. And so I kind of try to uh, strategically indoctrinate them with the songs of Christmas that mean a little bit more than like grandma got run over by a reindeer or something like that. I want to pick songs that, that really have a lot of substance to them. So they're humming and singing these songs. And it's such a joy to watch them as we gather together uh, outside on Christmas Eve, watching my son Declan kind of swing back and forth, singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. This young boy being invited into this stream, this river of praise and joy as we sing songs to the Lord of our salvation, the one who came to save us. And I want to invite each of you this morning into another passage of Scripture that contains some songs. There are two songs in Isaiah 12 that Mariah just read for us. In verses 1 through 2, this is a sort of song that each individual believer can take upon their lips. And then in verses 4 through 6, it's actually, in the plural, a gathered congregation of believers singing this song together and running right through the middle of these two songs like a river is this invitation with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Doesn't that sound delightful at the end of a year like 2020? But I want to invite you into, in my prayer for my own heart, that I'm just kind of opening for each of you and and praying this over our church family at Seven Mile Road, is that we would live a well-watered life. And what we're going to see in Isaiah chapter 12 is that a well-watered life starts with digging deep with gratitude. It continues with regular refills of joy. 
And the result is unrestrained praise. So come with me on this journey in Isaiah 12 to see deep gratitude, full joy, and unrestrained praise. Did you see it in verse 1? Isaiah says, You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. First, we have to start by asking, what day is he talking about? If you were to read Isaiah 1 through 11, what you would see is that there's this buildup of messianic expectation happening. That in chapter 6, Isaiah is commissioned, he's sent out by God after he sees a vision of the Lord seated on his throne with the seraphim crying out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And God sends a burning coal from his very presence, from the altar, to touch Isaiah's lips that his sin would be taken away. God makes a way for Isaiah's sin to be atoned for and sends him out to be his messenger. But then in chapter 7, one of the famous Christmas prophecies comes to our attention in verse 14. It says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Or if you were to flip back to Isaiah chapter 9, another famous Christmas prophecy that we hear a lot this time of year. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then if you were to read the words that lead into Isaiah chapter 12 and chapter 11, there's this beautiful promise that the Messiah will make all things new. He will restore this broken world. And the verse right before Isaiah 12:1 is a sort of promise of a second exodus. You see, the people of Israel looked back on the great act of redemption that God brought their ancestors out of the house of slavery through the Red Sea into the promised land. But now the people of God They've been taken away into captivity, and they've also been scattered among the nations by the Assyrians. And they're longing for a second homecoming, a second exodus. And Isaiah says, you will say in that day when God brings you home. And when we as followers of Jesus take these words on our lips from this ancient Israelite tradition, what we are saying is we also are a people that are living between the already of God's past act of redemption and the not yet of our homecoming. We are a people that live in between two advents, the first coming of our Lord Jesus Christ who was born in a manger in his incarnation and he lived and died and rose again to defeat our greatest enemies of sin and Satan and death. But we are longing for our homecoming. We're longing for a second advent, a second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ because he came and he inaugurated his kingdom. His kingdom being everywhere where he reigns as king. And but one day he will bring it to its proper consummation. He will reign forever and ever. These are the promises, the hopes that we that we hold on to in times like this. And so I want us to see that it is, it is so fitting that we would take these words on our lips as well. Isaiah says, you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. But notice what he's giving thanks for. Did you see the, the, the word for is kind of a grounds clause that helps us see why. Why should we give thanks to the Lord? He says, though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. 
Let me ask you, is that the narrative that you are rehearsing that's resulting in gratitude to God? Do you remember that he is holy? The whole earth is full of his glory and all of us like sheep have gone astray. The Bible teaches in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were enemies of God. We, we were following the world and the flesh and the devil. Paul picks up that theme in Romans 5. says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. That all of us have turned away from God. We have rejected his kingship over our life. All of us were born into sin and daily we choose sin. And God was right to be angry with us. But good news, his anger has turned away that he might comfort us. As I was thinking about this idea of anger giving way to comfort, I was reminded of um, C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia and The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Maybe you've read this book, maybe you've seen a movie about it, but I love thinking about the scene where Edmund, one of the four Pevensey children, after he had betrayed Aslan and his siblings by going to the white witch's castle because he wanted a little more Turkish delight, right? She wanted something sweet. And so he, he betrays Aslan and his siblings, and he's imprisoned. He's held captive by the white witch, but Aslan, the great lion, the king of Narnia, sends a rescue party to come and rescue him and bring him back. And I, I was reading it the other day. I love the scene where when the white witch comes because she says that the blood of any traitor in Narnia is her property, according to the laws of Narnia, that when she comes and she's accusing Edmund, Edmund just keeps looking at Aslan's face. He's hearing the accusations of the enemy, but he's just remembering this one who rescued him, who was right to be angry with him because he was a traitor. He had betrayed Aslan, he had acted treacherously for fleeting pleasure. And yet he keeps looking at Aslan's face. And Lucy, his sister, noticed that when she looked up into Aslan's face, she saw that there was sort of a look of sadness, but also a look of joy. Because Aslan knew that he was going to have to die on the stone pavement in order, the stone table, in order for Edmund to go free. You see this picture of anger giving way to comfort, the one who was right to be angry instead at great cost to himself has made a way for us to be comforted. And this word comfort is going to get picked up later in Isaiah. You see the book of Isaiah, you could break it down into chapters 1 through 39, are, are a lot about God's righteous judgment because of the sins of his people. But then in chapter 40, do you know how it starts? It sort of turns a corner and says, comfort, comfort my people. Speak peaceably to them. And then I love that at the end of Isaiah, in Isaiah 66, there's this promise that the Lord will comfort his people. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you and you shall be comforted. The Lord says in Isaiah 66, 13, do you see that this is what's available to us because of Christmas? That God has come near in order to take away the anger of God. You see, only he could do it. We, we've sinned against an infinite, eternal God, and what we rightly deserve is his wrath, but God has made a way, friends, for us to be redeemed, for us to be reconciled to him. 
Would you receive that tremendous comfort that though he was angry with you, he's not anymore. His anger has turned away that he might comfort us. Because Jesus has taken away all of the wrath of God so that all that is left for us is his love and his comfort. Well, what Isaiah goes on to say in verse 2 is, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. Interestingly, Isaiah's name means Yahweh is salvation. And here he is taking those words on his lips saying, God is my salvation. As a result of that, because I've been reconciled to the holy and righteous God, I will trust and will not be afraid. Again, we have this grounds clause. Why? How can we say that? For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. The, the Israelites would have heard that, and they would have said, that's not original to Isaiah. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Where have I heard that before? <clears throat> that's what the people of Israel said when God brought them out of Egypt in the first exodus. If you were to read in Exodus 15, this is the song of Moses. The people of Israel sing, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. It's like when we take these songs on our lips at Christmas time, we're saying God has delivered his people in the past and he has delivered me and he will continue to deliver us and he will bring us home. He has been faithful in the past and he will be faithful to me. Do you feel it? The deep gratitude here is not just for the blessings of God's hand. It's not just for the circumstances that we find ourselves in. The deep gratitude, when we dig deep with gratitude, we're, we are able to give God thanks because, not just because of the blessings of his hand, but because of the blessings of his heart. Because we've been reconciled to him. We enjoy comfort from him. The peace that only he can bring. Do you know it? Have you received this? This is available to you in Jesus if you will but come to him. You see, a well-watered life starts with digging deep with gratitude. But let's keep moving. Looking at verse 3, it continues with receiving regular refills of joy. Verse 3 reads, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. I just want to camp out here for a minute. I want us to see that this theme of water and salvation is one that runs all throughout your Bible. That in, in Jeremiah, he, he begins his book in chapter 2, and he says, he says, uh, quoting the Lord, communicating the words of the Lord, the Lord says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And that theme of the Lord being the fountain of living water continues until we, we hear Jesus say to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, you remember what he said? If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is speaking to you, you would have asked me and I would have given you living waters. He says, the water that I will give you will become in you like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the Samaritan woman responds, sir, give me this water. Have you responded in that way? Jesus goes on to say in John chapter 7, If anyone thirsts, let them come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And this he said about the Spirit. And we could go on and on, but I just, I'll give you one more. In Revelation 7, it says that the, the lamb in their midst will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. Do you feel this promise all throughout the scriptures that God is saying, come to me and I will refresh your soul? I have so much joy within myself. The Lord has so much joy within himself as Father, Son, and Spirit from eternity past to eternity future in perfect love and harmony and community within himself that he says, I will pour my joy in you until you are overflowing if you will but come to me and drink. Isn't it interesting that this verse says you will draw water from the wells of salvation? Did you notice that? It's plural. The Hebrew has to do with kind of the source or the headwaters of salvation. But why is it plural? We know from the rest of Scripture that it's not saying that there are many ways of salvation. There are multiple ways. The Bible's going to be really clear. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The book of Acts says. The Lord says, I am the fountain of living waters. Come to me. If you go to anything else, it's a broken cistern that can't hold water. It will fail you. But why are there many wells? It's because there are as many wells in your life, wells of of salvation and joy as there are meetings with God. As often as you meet with him, you get to get a regular refill of the joy of your salvation. See, this is why we wake up in the morning and spend time with him. This is why you stay up late before you go to sleep and spend time with him. Or whenever it is that you meet with the Lord, this is why. It's to become a Christian all over again, metaphorically speaking. It's not that when you trusted in him years ago, that didn't, that didn't accomplish anything. No, you're justified, declared righteous by God at the moment that you said, Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Savior, and I confess you as my Lord. I'm trusting in you for the forgiveness of my sins. I'm taking my trust out of anything that I've placed it in before, including myself, and I'm trusting in you. At that moment, you are declared righteous by God. But our salvation has multiple tenses to it in the Bible. It's a past tense reality we're justified. It's also a present tense reality. We are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit's work in us. We are being conformed more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus. And it has a future tense reality as well. We will be glorified at his second coming when he brings us, when we see him as he is, we will become like him. We will be one day freed from the presence of sin altogether. But in this journey of life that often feels like a wilderness, there are many wells. It's like if you were traveling from from Egypt to the promised land, if you only took a drink of water in Egypt and waited till you made it to the promised land to drink again, you would drop dead in the wilderness. You need a well at every point along the journey to drink deeply of the Lord and say, Lord, I need you to fill me up because I feel like I'm languishing. How many of us, if we're honest, would say today, I feel like my resources are depleted spiritually, emotionally, maybe physically. I feel like I am... I feel like I'm about to drop dead in this wilderness and I need you, Lord, to revive me. Would you take some time this week to get away and to be with the fountain of living waters? 
Would you take some time just to be in his presence, to, to drink deeply of this living water that he offers you? Mother Teresa once said, Jesus is the deep well, and every day I need to drop my bucket into the well. Isn't that beautifully stated? And so let me ask you this. How do we do this? How, with joy, do we draw water from the wells of salvation? The truth is, it's through really ordinary means. I think that's why we neglect it so often. I think that's why joy feels so elusive for us, because we, we don't do the ordinary things. These are things like spending time in, in reading your Bible, meditating on it, memorizing it. Also, spending time in prayer, spending time in silence and solitude before God, asking Him to meet with you and speak to you. Things like fasting, a sort of way to pray with our whole body engaged. We're about to enter a season of prayer and fasting in January. We'd invite you to join us on this journey. We'll be sending you plenty of emails about it. But would you just commit to jumping in with us on that? The list goes on and on. I could, I could keep going, but things even like corporate, corporate disciplines or habits of grace, like gathering for worship, what we're doing right now as we sing to the Lord or, or confession of our sins— or celebration together. All of these things are tried and true ways to drink from the fountain of living waters. John Piper says it this way, these things, these disciplines, spiritual disciplines or habits of grace, they're not payments as if you could earn grace anyways. These are pipelines allowing the river of God's grace to flow into your heart and life. So let me ask you this. Have you blocked off with, with the craziness of 2020? Have you blocked off any access to the fountain of living water flowing into your life? Would you take some time this week and in the coming days to ask the Lord, what would it mean for me to create space to let you love me? To let you pour your love into my heart through the Holy Spirit? Because this is available to us, friends, as often as we open our hearts to him, as, op- as often as we turn to him and meet with him, with joy we will draw water from the wells of salvation. But then what happens next, the result of all of this, when we talk about living a well-watered life with deep gratitude and full joy, do you see when you put those two things together, what happens In verses 4 through 6, it's this uncontainable, unrestrained praise. Let's look back at at verses 4 through 6. It says this, You will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. That sounds like what we just covered with this deep gratitude and the full joy that results from being in his presence. But then, did you catch this? Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. You see, when we draw water from the fountain of living waters, when we meet with him and experience the joy of knowing him, of relational proximity to him, even amidst horrible circumstances, the result is we can't help but speak of that which we're enjoying. You know, C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. 
Do you see that we're stopping our enjoyment of Jesus short when we stay totally silent about him? Like if that enjoyment enjoyment does not result in singing to him, worshiping him in the quietness of our heart, but also together with our brothers and sisters. Notice this is a song that we're singing together. This is a plural you will say in that day. But also that worship grows into witness. If, If we don't ever speak about Jesus to the people around us who are languishing, whose whose souls are just as thirsty as ours are, we're actually stopping that enjoyment short for fear of what they will think. When really we have drawn water from that which they are are longing for, the fountain of living waters. But notice it doesn't even just stop with those right around us, although it must include those right around us, our family and our neighbors and our, our friends who don't know Jesus. We should long that they would come and taste his sweet love. It continues to the ends of the earth. Like this joy that we are tasting by drawing water from the wells of salvation, knowing that the anger of God has, has given way to comfort, that his anger has turned away and he loves us. When you taste that, you long for the ends of the earth to know this. Among the peoples, people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, in verse 5 it says, sing praises to the Lord for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. When your life is marked by deep gratitude and full joy, you want the ends of the earth to know how glorious Jesus is. Charles Spurgeon, a a 19th century British preacher, says it this way, Once more, he who really has this high estimate of Jesus will think much of him. And as the thoughts are sure to run over at the mouth, he will talk much of him. Do we so? If Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You will be whispering it into your child's ear. You will be telling it to your husband. You will be earnestly imparting it to your friend. Without the charms of eloquence, you will be more than eloquent. Your heart will speak and your eyes will flash as you talk of his sweet love. Brothers and sisters, are you tasting of the sweet love of Jesus every day as you go back and remember what he has done for you? You allow your heart to to be happy in Jesus even in the midst of circumstances that are tragic. You see, we have access to a joy that even flows in the midst of sorrow. We, we, we have access to a joy that even in the midst of tears and grief and loss continues because we know that we have entered into this river of praise that will flow all the way to the throne of God, that we'll get to be with him forever. And do you see how all this is possible? In verse 6 it says, Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. I love that Isaiah 12 ends this way. There's a a shouting and a singing for joy, continuing to grow as worshipers. Really, our whole life as Christians is growing as worshipers, deeper in gratitude, more full of joy, more fully celebrating him among those around us who don't yet know him, speaking of him. But do you see it, the way this is possible? It's because of Emmanuel, 
Because great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. You see, the whole story of the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 is not a story of how people found their way to God, but how God has come to rescue his people. The Holy One of Israel, Isaiah's favorite name for God, he uses it over and over. The one in whose presence we should be terrified because he was, he's the judge of all the earth, righteously angry towards all of us because of our sin. And yet his love is so strong that he came, he himself came to redeem us. The Lord alone and the Lord himself is the only one that could turn away the wrath of God. And Jesus came. Friends, he's great in our midst. We celebrate this time of year, Emmanuel, God with us, that God has gone to infinite lengths to reconcile people to himself. The whole story of the Bible, the whole narrative arc is one of God coming to rescue his people so that he could dwell in our midst, him atoning for our sins so that we could be with him forever, glorifying him and enjoying him forever. If you have never tasted of the sweet love of Jesus, would you come to him today? Would you drink deeply of his love? Would you tell him that you need his forgiveness for your sins? Would you place your trust in him? And would you find in him this great joy of drawing water from the wells of salvation that he offers? And if you know Jesus, my brothers and sisters in this room, Would you daily create space to let him love you? Be reminded that his anger has been turned away and he longs to comfort you. He longs to pour his love into your heart to where you can't help but speak of the things that you have seen and heard. May this be true of us as we head into a new year for his glory and for our joy in him, for the good of those around us. Amen. Let me pray for us. So Jesus, we do say thank you that you are God with us, that you didn't leave us alone in our sin. You would have been just to just wipe your hands of us, but your love is so strong, Lord, that you left the glories and the comforts of heaven, that you might turn away the righteous anger of your Father, that you might take upon yourself the punishment that we deserved. You were pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And we say, thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. Thank you for coming to rescue us and redeem us. Father, thank you that you are not angry with us, but but you have comforted us in the person and work of Jesus. You sent him to save us. Holy Spirit, thank you that you minister the love of the Father into our hearts. Would you make us a people of worship and worship that grows into witness? May our lives be well-watered and evergreen even in the midst of of trying circumstances, Lord, for your glory. We pray it all, Jesus, in your name. Amen.